Well, a very good evening once again, and we thank uh, Joel and the worship team for leading us into this time of worship. Once again, a very good evening, and uh, welcome to this our online service. Yes, we're back into this online service thing again, but hopefully this time we won't be online for too long. But uh, yes, as uh, Joseph has also mentioned, we are now here in this, I want to say brand new, but it's not really brand new. But nevertheless, it's a newly renovated uh, Pao Shen Lo. And uh, as you continue to look around, you'll find that uh, yeah, there's still a few things that we still need to do. Uh, we're going to change the uh, curtains and uh, the toilets is going to be revamped a little bit and the Sunday school room is going to be tidy up. Alright, so with that, we truly cannot wait for the day where we'll be able to come back here once the COVID is given the go-ahead for us by the government to be clear. Uh, we can't wait to have our very first Sunday service uh, live once again. But this is, of course, something for the future. But for now, can I invite you as we continue on in our service? And this evening, as we continue on in the sermon series on the Holy Spirit, we're going to look into the title for today, The Purging Fire of the Spirit. And what better passage then to look into uh, today is to dwell upon the passage from 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, can I invite you to turn with me to this passage in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you don't have your Bibles, it's all right. It's always good to just take some time to, to close your eyes and to just listen to the word being read. So you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to begin from verse 1. And the word of the Lord says, that after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties. Sounds like they're also doing uh, safe distancing. Huh? In a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab, and Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. Verse 7, And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered it, It is I. Go, tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? So the Lord, as the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they have not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you, I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab that he cannot find you, he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Let's move on to verse 15. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, 
Behold, whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherel who eat at Jezebel's table. This is perhaps one of the most remarkable stories that is ever told in the Old Testament. You find that everything about it is vivid, it's dramatic, the characters involved here are colourful, the issues tremendous and the outcome truly glorious. This is the story of a man named Elijah, the lone prophet who stood face to face with 450 prophets of Baal. He suddenly appeared as the prophet of crisis and disappears as suddenly to the accompaniment of a fiery chariot and whirlwind. In fact, you find that the New Testament, surprisingly, has more to say about this man than any other prophets. Stepping out to the unknown, this man of God's first act was to lock the heavens by his prayers so that no rain would fall on the land for a staggering three and a half years. Needless to say, this severe famine and, brought, and, and drought was really the result of God's judgment of an idolatrous nation. Now, despite not having any record of Elijah's earlier life, however, what we do know of this man is that he was completely obedient to the word of the Lord. And as read in the opening verse, you find that his act of obedience from Elijah's part was really to show himself to King Ahab, which brings us now to our story for today. But before unpacking our passage for today, let's turn to God in prayer for guidance. Let us pray. So Father, we want to thank you that even as we gather together as your people, Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to just fall afresh on each and every one of us, wherever we may be. We ask of you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will do the work of purging to prepare our hearts, to purge any doubts, to purge any resistance, to remove and to burn anything that is not of you, so that we may receive your word pure, holy and acceptable. So, Father, we give ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, will you do your work in our midst? In Jesus' name we pray. <laughs> Amen. You find that Elijah's dramatic challenge against the priest of Baal really grew up from his deep concern over the spiritual condition of the nation. You see, on the throne sat perhaps the weakest and the most wicked king that Israel has ever known. You find that even before his disapproved marriage, it was recorded earlier in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30 and 31, that Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And so it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebah. He took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Edbar, the king of Sidonian, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. 
So here was an Israelite king. Instead of worshipping Jehovah God, what did he do? Verse 32 even tells us he had this audacity to erect an altar for Baal. No wonder it was told that this king did more to provoke the Lord to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And you find that it was at this particular juncture where wickedness had almost blanketed the entire nation that Elijah dramatically walked onto the stage of Israel history. And so let's continue with the story. We find that from verse 20 to verse 24, Elijah now confronts the people as well as the 450 of Baal's prophet. And we read in verse 21 that he issued them this challenge. <clears throat> he says this, How long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. The challenge was clear, isn't it? There could be no compromise between the worship of Yahweh and the worship of Baal. The two contrasting systems of religion could not coexist peacefully together. It was one or the other. It was either God or Baal. A choice has to be made and there can be no sitting on the fence. That was the challenge that Elijah gave to the people and to the prophets of Baal. And as to the test of the challenge, it was this. Verse 24 says, The God who answers by fire, He is God. So to determine whether God is real, Elijah says, we will test this by fire. Now you'll find that this suggestion sounds kind of fair and good, especially if you're the opposition party. Why? Because you'll find that Baal was the God of fire. And when Elijah says, you know, whoever, whichever God sends fire, it certainly sounds good for the people. Hence, you find that there was no objection. And so, the challenge was on. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment as to why Elijah suggested this challenge of the test of fire. You see, the reason is very simple. The reason is simply because the significance of fire was not lost on the people of Israel. You see, the Israelites could recall countless occasions in the past when God answered them by fire. Moreover, they were aware that fire was the manifestation of the presence of God. You see, they could recall back in the Exodus days how God manifested Himself in the form of fire. They recalled how God showed Himself in front of Moses in a burning bush. Exodus 32, sorry, Exodus 3 verse 2 says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. Out of the midst of a bush, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Then there was also this episode where the presence of God was seen at Mount Sinai. Exodus 19.18 records that Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The presence of God was also in the midst of the people 
as they were travelling from one place to another. The Bible tells us that, that, that a pillar of cloud followed them and at night there was a pillar of fire. And then we also read of another incident where the manifestation of the divine presence was also present at the dedication of the temple which was constructed by King Solomon. And this incident is found in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 1 where we are told that as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So all these verses are indeed proof that the presence of fire represents the presence of God. However, you find that Elijah's day, this holy fire has somehow disappeared from the altars of the Lord. And the reason for this was because due to the result of the action of Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu. Like their father, Scripture tells us that they were both serving as priests of the Lord. But one day, because they didn't take their role as priests seriously, they neglect their duty. And so what did they do? We are told in Leviticus 10.1 that they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Or as some other versions would term, would term it as strange fire. And the result, because they have the neglect of their duty, they didn't respect God, God struck them down and they lost their lives. So you see, such was the significance of the symbol of fire in the Old Testament that we can also say the same in the New Testament. We see that in the announcement of the ministry of the coming Messiah, Jesus proclaimed these words. Sorry, John the Baptist proclaimed these words. He says, we, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And we know that this prophecy was eventually fulfilled at the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit really descended with power upon the assembled disciples. And when the Holy Spirit came, what was the symbol chosen to, re to represent the Spirit? The answer in Acts chapter 2, verse 3 is this. It is fire. Because we are told that divided tongues as of fire appeared to all of them and rested on each one of them. So you can conclude, as we can see, that fire is indeed the sign of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit as fire has this ability to purge away anything that is impure. And you know, friends, in our days, the greatest lack in the life of you and I as Christians, as well as the church, is really this missing presence of the fire of God manifested by the working of the Holy Spirit. Churches today everywhere, <coughs> some church are remaining status quo, they're not growing, why? It's simply because the presence of the fire of God is missing in their midst. There's no life. And this is why it's so crucial for us here in All Saints that if we are truly to be a healthy, living, growing church, we must be a congregation that is spirit-filled. 
God's purging fire must be at work in our life in removing the impurities or else we will not be growing as a church. So we find that the scene as we come back to the passage here. So we find that the scene is set and the competition was now underway. If you read from verses 25 to verse 29, you find that the false prophets of Baal, they were the first to begin. And so as they sacrificed the bull offering, you know, we have this rather hilarious portion where we are told that the, 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 the prophets, they began to dance, they prayed from morning to noon, and yet there was no answer. And this even prompted Elijah to mock them. Elijah even told them this, you know, he, he, he said, cry aloud, for he's a God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself, or maybe he's on a journey, perhaps he's asleep, asleep and must be awakened. And undeterred, you find that the bar prophets, they continue to cry even louder. They even cut themselves. And still, there was silence. Nothing happened. No fire felt from above. Then it was Elijah's turn. We pick, up, we pick up the story now in verse 30. And verse 30 tells us this. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bowl in pieces, and laid on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Now at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Now we continue to find that as soon as he finished this prayer, verse 38 reports that the fire of the Lord fell and consume the burnt offerings. And not only the burnt offerings, we read that even the wood and the stone and the dust and the fire licked up the water dry that was in the trench. In other words, the holy fire of God purged everything that was present at the altar. Without a doubt, you find that the falling of that fire was really the climax of the Mount Carmel drama. Then the fire of the Lord fell. The question for us 
is this. When did this happen? When did the fire of the Lord fell? There are five key points, church, that I think we must not miss it if we truly want the fire of the Lord to fall upon our church. And so when did the fire of the Lord fell? <coughs> Point number one is this. The f- God's fire fell at the time of national apostasy. You see, as I already established, Jehovah worship, as mentioned, was at its lowest point as Baal worship was almost engulfed the whole of Israel. Spiritual darkness had enveloped the entire land. But it is when the darkness is the deepest, that's when the light is most needed. And for many of us, we may find that, you know, we are living in this difficult situation. We may say to ourselves that satanic forces may be lurking all around and there seems little hope of godly influence. But as God had to correct Elijah, that there were still 7,000 who had not bowed the knees to idolatry. And so it is at the judgment of sin when we begin to realize that we have sinned against the Lord, that where we have done wrong, that's when God's holy fire will be present. That's where God's holy fire will come and purge away all the impurities in our lives. Secondly, we find that the purging fire of God fell when Elijah obeyed God without hesitation. You see, in the previous chapter, we read that Elijah was instructed by Yahweh to hide himself. And then in verse 1 of this chapter, God somehow seems to be changing his mind and now told Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab and then I will send rain upon the earth. Now, don't miss this part. God told Elijah, show yourself to Ahab. Then only rain will come. And the thing here is this. It's no secret that the prophet wanted to avoid King Ahab like a plague. Why? Because Ahab was Elijah's enemy. Ahab was seeking after his life. And this was due to the fact that for three long years, as he already said, Elijah prayed for the heavens of God to close and there was no rain. And so the whole entire land was facing a drought. And that is why you find that Ahab, when he saw Elijah, he said, you are a troublemaker. But take note, before there can be rain, Elijah must first obey the command of God. Elijah must obey God's word to show himself to Ahab, knowing full well that that could simply mean his life will be taken away. But Ahab, as we have already said, was a man of obedience. Because immediately, you notice in verse 2, that when God told him, go yourself to Ahab, Elijah went and showed himself to the king. You see, the falling of the fire and the coming of rain was a direct result of Elijah's obedience to face Ahab. And we are truly seeking in vain the falling fire of God if there are still some reserved error in our lives that we refuse to obey the Lord. If we want the purging fire of God to come into our lives, but yet we are not 
ready to obey Him as Elijah did. God's fire, God's Spirit will not come upon us. There must be that obedience. <coughs> Thirdly, you find that God's purging fire fell after the ruined altar had been repaired. Look with me to verse 30. We are told here that when it came to Elijah's turn, what was the first thing that Elijah did? <coughs> verse 30 tells us that the very first thing the prophet did was to repair the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Now, church, this is of great significance. You see, for the Jews, the altar is a symbol of worship. And a ruined altar speaks volume. Furthermore, Mount Carmel has always been a meeting place for God's people. But since the altar is in ruin, the worship of God, needless to say, cease. And so the implication, therefore, is this. Before the fire of God can fall, Elijah is teaching us that the altar must first be rebuilt. And that is why we are told in verse 31, he began to replace the 12 stones. And the 12 stones represents the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is an indication of a nation that is now reunited again. And the lesson for us is this. You see, the fire of God will not come if there is no spiritual unity among the people of God. If we as a church <coughs> are still in divided, we are still as a church not coming together as one. If we as a church are still not seeking that forgiveness, the fire of God will not come. <laughs> and this is evidence because when you look into the Acts passage again, what were the disciples doing? Very clearly, Acts 2 tells us that they were all together, they were united together. All the 120 disciples gathering in the upper room, they didn't say, I want to do this, I want to do that. No, they were all together in unity having the same mind, waiting patiently for the Spirit. So therefore, the reflection for us is simply this. If there is still broken altars in our lives, which are unrepaired, if there are relationships that are still not restored, or are still living in sinful lifestyle, if some of us are still not willing to seek forgiveness, and repent from the wrongs that we have done, then I'm afraid the fire will not fall until the altar is re-erected. Fourthly, you find that the purging fire of God fell when the whole offering was placed on the altar. Verse 33 says, And Elijah put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And the point to note for us is this. The fire of God never falls on an empty altar. The sacrifice is not without meaning. We are to place our whole lives onto the altar. You know, as we probably, some of us may be familiar with the hymn, Take My Life. The hymn begins with the call to take our hands, then proceed to our feet, to our voice, to our love, and so forth. Why? Because God will not be satisfied with only a partial surrender. We can't say, Lord, just take my hands. 
or take my leg. God wants all of us. God's fire will not fall if our all is not placed on the altar. So we must be willing <coughs> to allow God to purge every part of our lives and not just one part. We cannot just say, Lord, purge this area, but the secret part of my heart you don't touch. And finally, we find that the purging fire of God fell only after Elijah prayed the prayer of faith. And listen again to the words of his prayer from verses 36 and verse 37. He prayed this. He said, Oh Lord, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. What a contrast, isn't it? When you compare this to the yelling of the Baal priests as they begin to leap, they cut themselves and calling to an unresponsive deity. But we find that no sooner had this simple prayer has been prayed, that fire came down from heaven. That the, Lord, that the fire of the Lord fell. And observe that the fire did not come in drips and draps. It did not come in different stages. No. The Bible makes it clear that the fire came at one swoop. The prayer of faith immediately followed by the fire from heaven which consumed everything. We want to come now to this last part of our sermon. <coughs> and we want to look at what did the fire achieve when it came? What happened when Elijah prayed and the fire fell? Let's look at verses 39 to verse 40. <coughs> and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Remember the challenge of Elijah? Choose this day who you will serve. If God is Lord, serve Him. And the response that we get from the people is that they declare that the Lord is God. Verse 40, And then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them to the brook Kishon and slaughtered there, there. So what did the purging fire of God achieve? Let me share with you three suggestions. Number one, as verse 39 tells us, it brought the whole entire nation to their knees. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The challenge was set and Elijah was the victor. There can be no denial about the evidence of falling fire as the crowd there saw it with their very own eyes. Nothing happened to the altar of Baal, but to the altar of Elijah. Fire came down and they saw it for themselves. And to a godless world, God's fire manifested in the presence of the Holy Spirit 
would definitely draw attention. But for us, for us, if the God's fire is to fall upon us, the only response that we should react is none other than what the Israelites did. The only response that we can respond is to really bow down and repent. Secondly, we also see that the falling of the fire resulted in the death of the prophets. Elijah's first act of the victory was the command of the Baal's priests to be executed. Now, we may say this sounds rather cruel, yeah? But you know, we need to understand that the execution here merely symbolizes the removal of sin and the things which displeases God. Anything or anyone which rivals against the true God must be overthrown. But this was the very thing that the Israelites failed to do when they possessed the promised land. God told them that the promised land is yours. But what was the command? That they were to wipe out the inhabitants of Canaan. But the Israelites failed to do this. They didn't wipe out the entire people. They kept some of the idol worships. And worse, they intermarried with these people. And this resulted in their current calamity. So the total execution of Baal's prophet, it may sound cruel, but it was necessary. We must remove any sin that might cause us to influence us, to drive us away from the presence of God. And that is why God, that is why Elijah told the people, take the prophets and execute them. And finally, you find that the falling fire achieved this. It accomplished the impossible. The falling fire of the Lord, as you recall in verse 38, consumed not only the burnt offerings, it is recorded that it consumed the wood, the stone, the dust, and the water. Now think about this. Who ever heard of huge stone, hard stones being consumed? But yet, we are told that this was exactly what happened. The 12 stones, it can be said, represents the hardness of our hearts. And you see, it is only that purging fire of the living God that can accomplish this impossible by breaking down hard stones or hardened hearts. And this occurred at Pentecost, where the disciples' cowardice was burned up and it was replaced with courage. Their doubt turned to faith and self-seeking to a passion. And, 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 and their cowardice was burned up and was placed with courage. Their doubt turned to faith and their self-seeking turned to a passion for the glory of Christ. That's what happens when the purging fire of God comes. It can accomplish the impossible in our lives. And you know, church, interestingly, as it so happens, tomorrow marks the day of Pentecost. The great day where God's purging fire came down on the early disciples. And in the same manner, you and I, we can receive the same fire of the Holy Spirit. Our church will grow. Our church will be one that is living and focusing on evangelism and discipling for the glory of God. But this can only happen when we make the decision like Elijah did 
to follow God and not to the things that displeases Him. It is only when we are willing to be obedient, to repair our broken altars and lay our all in it. Only then will the purging fire of God come and purify us. So today as we close, as we receive the word being shared, may we all receive and be filled with this power of the Holy Spirit. May it purge and refine our lives. So let us respond now as we close with the song and as we sing it meditatively. Would you just allow that refining fire of the Spirit to fill you and to purge away any impurities from our lives? Thank you, Lord.